fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final try to Wolfpack, we are back. I apologize for those technical difficulties. Had a little bit of an issue with the menu not loading the correct way and not working. But we are back live for preseason market check number two, week two of the action. We are going to discuss some huge stuff from Josh Gordon's return, which is right at the top, as you can see, to all the sleepers, risers, fallers, everything you need to know. Because anyone that says the preseason doesn't matter is completely full of absolute shit. So make sure you tune in live. You can collect so much data from snaps and usage to the way new schemes are looking and everything in between. There is so much value to be gained from tracking the preseason and staying on top of stuff. And we're going to be here live with everything you need to know. So settle on in. We're going to go through all these names and get you caught up for now. We're going to start, though, right at the top. Some of the biggest news to hit the rotosphere this entire summer. Josh Gordon has been reinstated. This is enormous news because one, He's a complete freak himself, but two, he finds himself in an amazing opportunity with the Patriots and not a lot of weapons to feed there. He has a absolute carved out role now that he has returned with Tom Brady, the GOAT himself. It's going to be beautiful. Last year, he averaged right around 12 fantasy points per game with the Patriots. Meh, not bad, but you look at the games he had without Gronkowski. Four catches for 100 yards on seven targets, five catches for 130 yards and a touchdown on nine targets, and four catches, 81 yards on 12 freaking targets. Yes, that's a little bit inefficient, not quite what you want to see in terms of catch rate and all that good stuff, but holy hell is that juicy volume, seven, nine, and 12 targets, and those stats are very, very solid. He also has averaged the most yards per catch of any Buddy Brady's ever thrown to 10.4 yards per catch. Brady himself averaged 50 or so more yards of per passing a game. He gets a nice bump up having a proven weapon like Josh Gordon in the lineup. So Brady gets a nice bump up. Edelman maybe takes a slight hit, but not much. He's going to still have that role. They play different areas of the field. So I'm not too worried about Edelman uh, at this stage. It's just more so maybe a little bit of a hit to a guy like Nikhil Harry, somebody that might have emerged as a sleeper. Jacoby Myers, who we're going to talk about dominating yet again this preseason, uh, maybe he becomes a little bit less of a target as a penny stock. But overall, great news for Josh Gordon. He ends up sliding right around wide receiver 24 or so for me, right near that Robbie Anderson, Mike Williams tier. Definitely willing to take him around round six. If you can get him as your third wide receiver, there is so much upside that comes with that price. So really enthused about Josh Gordon coming back to the Patriots. Let me know your thoughts. Would you ever touch him again? The risk is real. I get it. What if he just smokes again and disappears on us? What if he, you know, is he in football shape? All these things that we have to find out. But I, I believe that it's going to be the right thing. If he's coming back, it's going to be a great situation for him. Really, really excited about Josh Gordon. Next on the list, we have Andrew Luck. He has been the subject to so much 
Here we go. So much uncertainty around the calf, the ankle. What is it? Is it an Achilles? Is it a bone? Uh, nobody knows what's going on with his health, but there's now, quote unquote, at least some type of a timeline, and that's guarded optimism that Andrew Luck will be able to play for week one. Now, obviously, that's not a lock. It's not a certainty that he's going to be there for week one, but still, the chances are there, which makes you much more uh, confident as a fantasy owner to take that plunge. Because if he is out there, the upside with Andrew Luck's as high as any quarterback. I mean, he crushed it with 35 touchdowns last year and really seemed to hit his stretch around the midseason where he was going for 270 and or three scores in pretty much every single game. Then you add a speedster like Paris Campbell. You add a red zone threat like Devin Funchess. He could absolutely light it up. Andrew Luck was my number two quarterback until all these injury concerns came to be. But at this point, uh, you know, he's falling a bit. He's now down to QB six in most rankings. I got him last night in my first draft of the year in round 10 or so. And if he's going to be playing week one, if he's ready to go and this ends up being much ado about nothing, you're getting yourself an insane steal. So that's the type of pick, you know, quarterback, I'm all about waiting. I'm not going to say reach on Andrew Luck because it's still not a certainty that he's going to be there. But apparently he took part in the pregame warmups, uh, looked good and everything of that nature. So there is a good chance he is going to be ready to go uh, and whatnot. So just got a quick question from a viewer, so I'm pulling that one in. All righty. Uh, so we got the mailbag updated. Keep tweeting in your questions. Keep messaging in how I can help you. I appreciate the interaction. And feel free to message in too here live so that way I can answer your questions as we go Wolfpack. Uh, so again, if you're, uh, where do you take Andrew Luck? Let me know your thoughts as we go through this broadcast. Next up is Miles Sanders. I absolutely love what came out of the preseason for Miles Sanders. Uh, he starts the game. That's a huge note. Taking over for Jordan Howard as the starter already, that's huge. And he did nothing but impress in his time with the Eagles as the starter. 31 yards on five rushes, including a nice explosive jaunt for 12 yards, 16 yards the next drive. He looked great. He picked up blitzes well. He showed everything that makes you believe he could be a true three-down back. Now, granted, they've always been a committee system. Jordan Howard's been getting talked up as the closer there. Uh, so many backs there to feed, whether it's Darren Sproles in the pass game or Corey Clement or Jordan Howard. But if anyone's going to supersede all those guys and, and force a just true workhorse, it's Miles Sanders. They haven't put draft capital in a guy like this since LaShawn McCoy. And we all know how LaShawn McCoy's career went when he was with the team. Uh, they haven't talked up a guy this much, Howie Roseman and Frank Reich, because they've never had a talent like this. So is it so much that Doug Peterson is definitely committee obsessed? Or is it just that he never had the guy to make his true workhorse? Maybe it's going to be Miles Sanders. He flashed everything we'd want to see in this game. All the beat writers now saying we don't see a situation where Miles Sanders doesn't enter the season as the number one back on this team. So you got the top line right by pro football focus. This offense could be unstoppable with Carson Wentz returning, with Deshaun Jackson stretching the field with so many weapons all over the place. If this guy does become, let's say, a 60% or so share, that's going to be unstoppable. So I really, really like Miles Sanders. Uh, I thought I showed everything that you need to. I like the fact 
that he's ascending to the starting role and really thriving, he's right up to about 70 or so. He's a guy you can't draft and know as your RB2 and that you're relying on and you're starting on. Even Peyton Barber might have more initial value, but I would much rather have a Miles Sanders, especially if I can get him as like an RB4, stash him on my bench because by the season stretch run, if he really separates from everybody, he's going to be a potential season runner. So I absolutely love Miles Sanders. If you have any thoughts on him, of course, comment him on in. Next up is a guy who I love, and not because of what he did on the field, but because of the fact that he wasn't even on the field. I love Miles Sanders this week. Uh, I mean, not Miles Sanders, Kalen Balage didn't even get the play. So Kenyon Drake, we hear the foot injury, uh, and then Kalen Balage just takes over that number one role. Every report out of practice was he was dominating the Bucks, was ripping off long touchdown after long touchdown every single day. So I, I love to hear those reports. I like that he was starting to dominate in camp. But then I like even more that they don't play him in the preseason game. That tells you they really have some good good designs and they really have Kalen Balaj as the, a potential centerpiece for this offense. We don't know how long Drake's going to be out and he's done nothing but thrive in his absence yeah, it's the Miami offense. Yeah, their offensive line is one of the worst in the league. But anybody as a starter that you can get in round 9 or 10, I absolutely love. So this guy can rip explosive plays. He's a big back, one of those size-speed nightmares. I don't know how his vision is. He didn't really impress me that much in his starting action. But overall, I think there's a ton of upside for when you can get him right around. I get him right around pick 100 or so. His ADP is even 20 or 30 less than that. So big fan of Balazs. It looks like Chris Jason with the puke emoji there is not quite the fan that I am. F you, Chris Jason. But Jake Knight, what do we got here? What tier of players do you put Adam Thielen in? I'm actually planning to talk about him, Jake, and I'm glad you tuned in tonight. I know I was telling you about this show. So welcome in. Uh, and any questions you have, get the interactions going. I absolutely love that. Uh, where do I put him? I have him as my like last acceptable wide receiver ones tiers. I know he crushed it with uh, the Vikings to start last year. He also had uh, John DeFilippo calling the plays there, and it was the most pass-happy, the second most pass-happy attack in the league during that span. And DeFilippo's always really crafted tons of volume for his slot weapons. Once he left, Thielen only got four targets a game, 12 targets over that uh, three-game stretch with Kevin Stefanski, who's now their offensive coordinator. I was worried about that. I, you have to be. Going to definitely be a run-heavier attack. Gary Kubiak's teams have always ranked in the top five. But ultimately, he's been just flashing so much in the preseason, those 34-yard bread basket catches where it's all about timing with your quarterback. It looks like the volume's still going to be there. Four targets in his last preseason game. I have started to bump him back up. I don't know who wins there, Diggs or him, but I think both of those guys are just the clear-cut, only two real receiving weapons there. Even if it's a smaller aerial pie, they're going to be eating almost all of it just exclusively themselves. So I have him right around, I'd say, 30 or so overall, right in my you know wide receiver 10 or so range. I could definitely take him as my wide receiver one. If you have him as your two, then you're in an elite spot. But right in that like early third, mid-third range, Jake, is where I take him. Great question. And, I, and he was a great uh, riser through this preseason, so I'm glad you cited him out. He's looked fantastic this entire preseason. But nobody... And I mean nobody has gotten the hype 
of Mr. Curtis Samuel. Holy shit, this hype train might be the biggest we've seen since like Corderell Patterson. Let's just hope we have a better result for Samuel. And I really think we, we will. One of the most explosive guys with the ball in his hand, a great deep threat, but just wasn't that refined of a receiver over these last couple seasons. More of that hybrid running back receiver, Percy Harvin style guy uh, that just didn't have the most expanded tree because of it. But all reports are this guy just put in every single ounce of effort this offseason. Didn't have to worry about rehabbing injuries or anything of that nature, and since he had that focus and was able to really work on refining his game, all the quotes have just been outstanding. Off-season MVP, has gone from athlete to refined receiver, all the gushing from Christian McCaffrey saying, I've never seen someone improve this much, the turnaround's been incredible, his speed is ridiculous, he's now going to, to dominate off the line, says Ron Rivera, how much he's developed as a just an overall threat. That's unbelievable news because he's always had just elite explosiveness, similar to you know Tyreek Hill in terms of how quickly he can go from zero to sixty and get down the field. But now he can do some things you know with the ball in his hand that Tyreek never could, and is a more refined receiver. The ceiling is definitely limitless, and the best praise I thought came from Tredavious White over from the Bills. Now, of course, your own team's going to gush about you. Your own beat writers are going to talk about all your highlight real plays every day, try to get the clicks from us fantasy nerds. But when Tredavious White, one of the best corners in the game, I would say, from the Bills, says I, this guy was impossible to cover. His release at the line was real good. He's, he's real shifty. He's going to be a good one. I really take note to when cornerbacks, especially ones that are elite, like uh, Tredavious White, cite praise like that. So I'm a huge fan of that. I'm a huge fan of everybody gushing about this guy. He's risen to like a, let's say, round seven, round six target. I'm aboard the hype train. I'm a believer in it. Uh, I- I'm huge on the Curtis Samuel hype train. Let me know if you guys are buying it as you're watching this live. Are you going to get aboard? But right now, you know, to me, that makes DJ Moore maybe a little less attractive, whereas Cam Newton who reportedly another reason why you should like Curtis Samuel his deep doll his deep, deep doll his deep ball has apparently returned uh, it's been one of the surprises of camp so they label it uh, and he's just been peppering Samuel on the deep balls after the catch this guy's going to be a monster this year so get aboard the hype train now I still like DJ Moore uh, but at this point I might rather take Curtis Samuel with all the positive praise that's coming out on him uh, I think he's going to have a monster season got him in round 7 in my draft last night where does Cam move up to I think Chris that's a a great uh, comment and thanks for sharing it says you shared it that's awesome that it gives us that feedback so appreciate any shares love getting as many views and interactions as we can on this show so keep it coming Hector thanks for coming back too I'm glad you're you're back here Uh, so where does Cam move up to I love their offense this year I do too. I actually had this conversation with a great film guy. You know, there's all these analytics guys, but this is a pure film guy, ex-football coach, uh, scouts with ex-football coaches. And he was talking about how Cam Newton, because he hasn't had that deep ball for a couple seasons, has really improved that intermediate passing game. It's kind of like, you know, with their senses, if you lost your sight, your sense of smell becomes much better. As an athlete, when you have to compensate, you might become more versed and more developed. And he's, everybody was noting how Cam Cam Newton's touch and reliance on running backs. You saw McCaffrey, 105 catches, NFL record last year. His willingness to use the running back, his touch and using those, all of that has really skyrocketed. And when, now that he has both that deep ball back and this more refined intermediate game with unbelievable weapons after the catch, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and then that deep ball too. All three of them can get deep. All three of them can run after the catch. 
this offense could be unstoppable. I mean, he has better weapons than what he had during his MVP season. Who's to say that he doesn't return to those level, maybe a little bit more rushing with teams keying in on McCaffrey as well in the red zone? I think Cam Newton could explode. We're going to talk about a couple quarterback fallers, <laughs> Kyler Murray, uh, in a little bit. I would say Cam Newton has now risen maybe to... Mm, like eight or so, him and Carson Wentz, humongous upside, but his refinement as a passer last year and then the return of that deep ball with an even better weapon cabinet than he's ever had, I really like what uh, what he could bring to the table, Cam Newton, this year. He's risen huge in my rankings alongside Curtis Samuel. Uh, but last but not least on this list of improvers, and I'm shocked to say it, but the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 Holy shit, they're looking good. Adam Gase was not the most exciting hire. No one was that thrilled about this guy. One of the slowest offenses the league has seen when he was with Miami. But they've been nothing but explosive since he came with the Jets. And maybe you start to realize, was this just a matter of him not having the right talent? Of course, he did some amazing things when he had Peyton Manning record-setting 55 touchdowns that year. Maybe Gase just needed the right quarterback and Tannehill just wasn't it. Because holy shit, this Jets team has looked so much better this entire preseason. Darnold's played four drives so far, 23 total snaps. And they've scored touchdowns on two of them. The thing that I really like to see and what's starting to change my opinion on these Jets even more so, though, is that 11 of these 23 plays have come out of the no huddle. That's 48%. New York was 4% no huddle last year. Gase's Dolphins were 15%. And again, as I said, one of the slowest teams in the league. If they're going to go no huddle and push this pace and they already have this type of chemistry where they can achieve this, this offense could really take that humongous next step. They made a few offensive line improvements, definitely still a question mark, but we've seen Donald showing great chemistry with Jamison Crowder. We already knew him and Robbie Anderson, who I'm going to talk about next, had an unbelievable bond after their late-round explosion for the final four weeks last year. Uh, Quincy Anunwo returns. Chris Herndon when he's back in for four games. This could be a sneaky stacked cast if Donald truly takes that next step in the regular season that it looks like he's taken in this early preseason action. And speaking of Anderson, there's not Number one target. Good God, were they on fire last year. The wide receiver three for the last four weeks. Your fantasy playoffs racking up 23 catches, 336 yards, and three touchdowns. That was unbelievable run, and it looks like they're already just picking up right where they left off. Three catches on three targets, obviously both team high, 31 yards uh, with Darnold. They just flash that beautiful chemistry on a, a nice back shoulder fade. And everything about the Robbie Anderson this offseason has been, let's expand his route tree. He's not just this one-trick pony. We're going to really use him more in the intermediate on screens, use him in the, the yards after the catch situation. So his one thing you weren't happy about with Robbie Anderson was the volatility. He, he was prone to disappear as more of a deep threat. But if he's getting you know four or five catches in the short game just added on as that number one receiver, that's going to be just money damage. And his floor gets raised when the ceiling was already so sky high. That's Robbie Anderson. I, I love the guy. I like him even more than Josh Gordon, who I was already raving about. He's up to like wide receiver 21, I want to say, on my, my board. I would love Robbie Anderson. If you exit with him in round five or six as your third wide receiver, your core is going to do really well that year. So Robbie Anderson, big riser, big fan of him uh, in this season. Now we're going to move on. To the fallers, though, and unfortunately, we got to go to my guy. And I hate to eat it. I hate to eat the crow, and I'm not eating the crow. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm now off the ship. 
But Kyler Murray did not look good in his second game after kind of storming the NFL and looking on fire in his first action. Goes three for eight, only 12 yards, taking brutal sacks throughout the game. Hits, gets hit with a safety, gets hit with two false starts. It was just everything was out of sync. It looked like an awful overall offense that's just going to get destroyed most concerningly. And the one concern I am nervous about lingering was the offensive line. But let's talk about the game real quick. This is as vanilla as can be. They're not going to show their hand. They're not showing what pace they're going to run at. And this is going to be a break net blazing fast offense. You can't really run a vanilla version of this and have it look pretty. There's no way. It's just impossible to do. So overall, I'm not worried about the struggles. I'm not worried about the lack of chemistry and the, the lack of success in this game. That that doesn't concern me. What does concern me is the offensive line. That He had maybe one second to throw on a bunch of these. Was getting hit right before he snap, right after snapping the ball. It was ugly. They just blitzed him and he had no idea what to do about it. I do think once they ratchet up the pace a little bit and start to get teams a little more off guard and really run the offense they're going to run, it's not going to be as big of a concern. But it definitely is going to be there. It's not going to go away. This line is going to absolutely blow. Maybe the worst in the league this year. But when this offense is humming, I imagine that gets negated a little bit. A lot of It's so much predicated on the quick strikes and letting your receivers do the heavy work, letting your running back do the heavy work in the pass game. I think it's going to be fine, but at this point, maybe I take a Cam Newton, who I think ceiling is just as high, but definitely has a safer floor than Kyler Murray. Maybe I take a Carson Wentz, who similarly has a higher floor, but similar ceiling. I still love Murray. I still will probably take him in every draft, but maybe I'm going into the season with him as my number two to a, a Cam Newton and a Carson Wentz, rather than entering 2019 fully, fully confident. But the upside is still limitless. I mean, the arm is as good as we've seen coming out. Then you add the rushing ability, which is as good as we ever seen. That could be fantasy juggernaut style stats. So I'm still on board with Kyler Murray being a QB1 beast this year. You got to be a little bit more cautious though after that line looked like the worst in the NFL on Thursday night. Let me know if you guys are reacting to this Kyler Murray news. Uh, if this makes you worried at all or where would you take him? I already was so bullish. Maybe I just needed a, a little bit of a wake up check there. Uh, but next on the list, and you hate to see it, He's avoided injuries these last couple seasons outside of, of course, when you need him the most, week like 15, gets knocked out of the game. But that's Mr. Keenan Allen. Has an ankle injury, maybe even surgery. There's, there's conflicting reports. If anybody's caught any updates on this, let me know. Because, uh, you know, Keenan Allen went on the field. There's few as good as him. 95-plus catches these last two years, over 1,100 yards, both those six and seven touchdowns. Just PPR surefire gold uh, when he's on the field. Dominated, I think, about 30% of the target share. There's nothing to complain about him, but if he's dinged up, I mean, everybody knew about that injury history when he tore the ACL week one, we had the lacerated spleen, he missed a ton of games over those last two years, then he's been healthy for two seasons, but is this a reminder that he is a little bit more fragile, that he takes pretty hard hits than your average receiver? I don't know. I'm not freaking out. He's expected to be ready for week one. He gets a little bit of a bump below, maybe like T.Y. Hilton. Maybe I take a few of those running backs like Aaron Jones or uh, maybe even Derrick Henry, if you like Derrick Henry, above him now. But I'm not going to freak out. I still think you get your, yourself a nice surefire round three, which is better than the round two. PPR wide receiver one with Keenan Allen. I'm not going to freak out, but it is discomforting to see your number one QB, I mean, number one receiver like this 
out for the remainder of the preseason. You hope they don't have any of these. But as long as he has no setbacks, should be back, should be fine. I'm not overly concerned. Jake, great question. How much does the love for DJ and Edmonds go up? Ah, I don't know if it goes up. I don't know what would make it go up by seeing that line absolutely blow. I've loved those guys, though, just from being those air raid style backs where they're going to get peppered with receptions and peppered with carries, a very high usage in offense, I think, that ascends. But with that line's not going to open any holes, and they had no running room uh, this entire preseason so far. I don't know if the, the love goes up with this line sucking as bad as it is. I still think the pace is going to be, you know, breakneck. I still think they're going to average tons of points, and it, it, this is going to be a lot of concern over nothing. But I am a little bit more worried than I entered the preseason on all my Cardinals. Uh, and I meant to mention Christian Kirk more so than a lot of these guys. Uh, and, and I forgot to mention, he's only played on 13 of 28 snaps with Kyler Murray. That's low, uh, lower than Keyshawn Johnson, lower than Larry Fitz, who's played 17 I don't know if that's because he's got a prominent role and it's a positive because he's played so few snaps or if that's a negative and suggests maybe him and Fitz are competing for similar area of the fields and suddenly Christian Kirk, who I was expecting to be the clear-cut number one here, the guy who's played in the system and was thriving in early spring, maybe that isn't the case anymore. So I'm a little bit nervous about my air raid weapons, about Christian Kirk, about DJ, about all of them. Uh, and as we just covered too, Keenan Allen, a little bit nerve-wracking there with this injury. Another injury that we have to cover, DK Metcalf. Now, you know, so many people love to be down on this guy. He's not a route runner. He's got such a limited tree, and I'm not going to dispute any of this. He, he really can run a go, a post, and that's about it. There's no real shiftiness to this guy right now. But what do you need to do when you're in a Russell Wilson-led offense, a Seahawks offense, that's all about pound it, pound it, pound it, deep shot, Pound it, pound it, pound it, deep shot. He's going to run that stuff to perfection. But you can't run it if you're off the field. And right now, DK Metcalf is dealing with a knee surgery. Pete Carroll, Mr. Sunshine, loves to blow all his players all the time, has already said he's going to be good for week one. I don't know that I can ever buy what comes out of that man's mouth because it's always just his own player's meat. And uh, you got to be a little bit nervous about DK. He's still one of my favorite late-round stabs because he's a physical freak that was in line already to be that number two receiver. Uh, he has been dominating in practice. Everyone's been more impressed with his route running. Uh, he's been winning those one-on-one -on -one balls as we expect him to. I get, I mean, what are we talking about, six foot four? Four three forty, uh, ridiculous like forty inch vertical. People just aren't built. This guy it is a cheat code type of human being that is perfect for what they want to do on offense. He's going to have plenty of blowups, especially if you're doing best ball. This guy's going to still have multiple two touchdown games. It's just when's it going to start? Does he going to have that time now? You know, missing the time to build chemistry. How far does he fall on the depth chart now? Maybe more of a mid season guy, whereas he had the upside right from the start as the clear number two. Maybe he becomes more of a mid-season guy. Uh, you got to maybe drop him down a little bit. And it was another Seahawk falling quite a bit on the big board this weekend. And that is Rashad Penny. Uh, he runs for six carries, negative two yards, doesn't look good at all. 
through those six carries. But what's more concerning is these reports. Chris Carson, it used to be a 1A, 1B situation. Uh, it was a, more of a split backfield. But now it's becoming Chris Carson getting at least two-thirds of what the reports are. Penny gets the rest, the clear number two. No longer a 1B, but the clear number two after Carson has just continued to run circles, just like he did last year, continues to run circles around Rashad Penny in practice. And they're saying Carson has the best hands on the team. He's going to be the one most likely to inherit those receiving workdowns from Mike Davis, a team-high 42 targets last year, probably going to Chris Carson instead of Rashad Penny. He just continues to show nothing on the field when he gets his opportunities, whereas Carson continues to play well. Uh, you look at the preseason snap usage. Russell Wilson's in for 17 of them. Chris Carson gets 12. That's 71% of the snaps as compared to just 29% or uh, five snaps for Rashad Penny there. And of course, Carson, five carries, 25 yards is usually bulldozing self just looked a lot better throughout the entire time I know Ronald Jones s carries right there Jason uh, Chris Jason just terrible overall so I don't know not feeling as great about Rashad Penny now this offense is such a ground centric uh, we call it the ground pie it's an enormous ground pie 33.8 attempts last year over 160 rushing yards that ranked second and then also first in the league in terms of rushing yardage over the full season. That's a lot to eat, and a mouth has been removed in Mike Davis, so I still think Penny has some upside. Plus, Carson does have a sketchy injury history. If he goes down, you're looking at a true, genuine RB1 in Rashad Penny. There's still first-round talent there, but he's just not showing it yet, so I don't feel quite as excited about drafting him in round eight or so as I used to. Maybe that's where I start to look at... Queue up the penny stocks, folks. And unfortunately, the, the player menu did not work. So we're now moving into just my beautiful face for the rest of the show. Sorry, folks. Uh, but we're going still with a menu here. And that's Tony Pollard right here at the top. Holy hell, this guy. I've been taking him in best ball leagues, you know, the entire offseason, getting him in the last round, loving life. One, just because I like the fact that he might be a starter if Zeke's out. He offers that James Conner style behind a top five line. But now that he's actually showing, good God, this guy's good. He's gonna. You're seeing his price start to skyrocket. No longer will he be available in the last round. No longer was he gonna be even round in like round nine or ten. He's gonna really start uh, to shoot up draft boards, which is unfortunate because he was one of the best values. And I still think in round ten, especially with Zeke's status up in the air, this guy is going to be a great value for people. Jerry Jones, idiot he is, makes a joke. Zeke, who after Tony Pollard rumbles, starts the game. Uh, nobody else comes in for the drive with Dak Prescott, and he gets seven touches on a monstrous like 99 yard drive he was the engine gets five carries for 42 yards also catches uh two balls gets a 14 yard gainer he looked great and then his 14 yard touchdown run just zips up there he a lot of people question could this guy be a workhorse after daryl henderson was the horse their entire college career he showed on that drive i can do all three downs and i can thrive in this volume with this offense with this line even if he's not great himself Everything around him is great. It's kind of like Connor. I mean, I, I don't think Connor's all that special. He's a good hard-nosed runner, but everything around the top five line, the great explosive offense is there. This offense might not be quite as good as the Steelers, but overall, he, he's going to look at, if Zeke doesn't show up, and uh, again, tension's now higher after Jerry Jones makes a great joke. Good one, Jerry, about Zeke. They're saying it hurt Zeke's feelings. Oh, poor little Zeke's feelings are hurt. Regardless, if he doesn't show, Tony Pollard, 
unbelievable upside for a, a round nine or ten pick. We actually have an uh, interview coming out Wednesday with Elliot Christ before the game said, you know, Tony Pollard, your late round version of James Conner, Alvin Kamara, that penny stock that blows up. He's a great expert of the quant edge. And this game just probably skyrocketed his price even more. So keep your eyes peeled for Tony Pollard this season. I think he could do uh, a lot here. What's the love like for Cooper Cup? Jake Knight, you've got some uh, random questions, random players on the mind. Is this like guys on your team that you're hoping to learn more about or or what? I I like Cooper Cup quite a bit. I actually ended up drafting him in the fifth round last night uh, in my my hometown league. Uh, Every report is that he's fully healthy. He's practicing in full. Uh, you got to be a little nervous that maybe he starts slow as he gets used to a brace or uh, gets used to the game contact. But he took hits. He bounced right back up, and and he's feeling good. I like Cooper Cup. Uh, I mean, what's not to love about this guy? The wide receiver, 15 in points per game before going down. You can get him for a wide receiver, 25, wide receiver, 30 price in round five. If you can get him as your wide receiver three, I really like. I'd rather have a, a Robbie Anderson. Uh, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe not Robbie Anderson. I, I, I like Cooper Cup. I want a piece of that Rams attack. Uh, and he's the slot guy, which Jared Goff has always peppered quite well. So I like Cooper Cup a lot, Jake. Good question. Uh, ask away, man. That's what I say. Got to be open to everyone. So ask away. Are you open, though, Jake, to Josh Allen? Next guy on this list. Uh, and our guy CJ wrote a nice write-up on him. Looked really accurate. You knew with Josh Allen, who was, I always love to throw this stat out, the number two scoring quarterback in fantasy when he came back from injury in week 11. Only Deshaun Watson had more points down the stretch run. So yes, Josh Allen outscored Pat Mahomes last year. They go and add a ton of weapons to his arsenal. But what you loved about him already was the rushing. I mean, Scott Barrett's 96 stats article has insane rushing stats about Josh Allen. He crushed it as a rusher. So you know you have those leg points, the Konami code, what people like to call it. Uh, it's a great edge for your running quarterback. It's, it's great. But if this guy can develop his passing game, that's going to make him an unbelievable value in fantasy. In this game, he showed some nice touch, some great accuracy. He went 9 for 12, 102 yards, just dropping dimes all over the field. So if he really refines that passing game and maintains, you know, probably won't maintain that rushing upside he had last year. It's a historic kind of pace he was going on. But if he can just, you know, somewhat balance it out and keep getting those rushing touchdowns, this guy could be a top five quarterback, just like he was to close the season that you get for an absolute steal of a price at the end. It looks like the duck, thanks for tuning in, my man, wants some Josh Allen. I love him as a QB, too. I don't know, duck, who do you go? Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen. Let me know how you sift through that Sam Darnold after he's shown so well this preseason. That's just another feather in the cap, though, of why you have to, have to have to wait on quarterback. There's no reason you should ever take a guy before round eight. I like to wait until round 10, if not later. I love getting that upside of Kyler Murray and whatnot, but if Josh Allen's going around like 15, I think he's on waiver wires in plenty of leagues too. The upside is just unbelievable for this guy if he can develop into a passer. You look at the weapons they added to John Brown and him. Apparently just a great rapport throughout camp. The most impressive offensive player John Brown's been labeled. It makes sense. You know, Josh Allen, the second high, or the highest yards per attempt uh, in the league. And then, uh, and then you get a great deep threat right there. It's just a perfect marriage. Cole Beasley, a nice security blanket underneath. Robert Foster has continued to make plays throughout camps. So uh, I'm a fan of uh, of Josh Allen. I think the weapons are there, and if he's there as a passer, the upside could be astronomical. Let's continue on 
to now Justice Hill. A fantastic performance in a fantastic situation. Uh, this guy rushed 10 times for 49 yards, a nice 4.9 yards per clip. Gets a powerful score. Uh, we knew he had speed, combine leading uh, speed for his 40 time. Uh, it was, you know, we knew that he could blaze. We knew that he was talented. He unseated Chris Carson as a freshman at Oklahoma State, and we've seen what Chris Carson can do in this league. Uh, so he, he obviously shown he can beat out professionals already. And now he's starting to to show his um, his game. His receiving game wasn't showed. He didn't get targeted at all. But he showed that he could really carve out a role here. It's going to be one of the run-heaviest attacks. Greg Roman has consistently ranked top five in rushing attempts. Uh, every single year he's been a coordinator. He's always ranked bottom half, uh, not bottom half, bottom three in terms of passing attempts. Obviously with Lamar Jackson, you expect that formula to continue. And when you have a mobile quarterback, the cutback lanes it creates, the higher yards per carry it creates is great for it. So Mark Ingram obviously in his way uh, and is going to be the lead back, but he's 29. He has a, a sneaky injury-ridden uh, early career. He's been kind of a workhorse over the last couple as it hasn't gotten hurt. But he's 29, approaching that dreaded cliff, could get knocked out. And if Justice Hill takes the reins of the run-heaviest offense in the league and gets a chance to really flash that explosive talent, you're looking at a potential season winner. So a guy that goes after round 10, I, I really like what Justice Hill can bring to the table. And I, I have a question for if you're Doc, for CJ, for Jake, for everybody tuning in here. One of my favorite running back penny stocks is Justice Hill. Do I take him? Would you take him over another one of my favorites? Mr. Darwin Thompson. Now, not quite the night he had in preseason week one where he scored on a 29-yard reception, where he broke tackles left and right, where he leaped over defenders and hurdled people, but he still was flashing that playmaking, still looked like the best back on the field for the Chiefs uh, in terms of four carries, 30 yards, and a 7.5 clip. Afterwards, get praised by Andy Reid. He got good vision in the run game. Pretty good understanding of the pass game. He's more advanced than we thought when we drafted him. Hinting at that this guy has developed into a nice player. I really like Darwin Thompson if he can carve out a role because of the platform, as Pete Davidson today on our podcast called it, which we, we refer to as surrounding talent and opportunity and coaching scheme. Uh, obviously, the, Saint, uh, the, the Chiefs' backfield is as valuable as it comes for any type of running back. Damian Williams put up the second highest points per game, 22.6, when he became the starter there, 10 touchdowns in six games. So if Darwin Thompson at some point carves out a, a, you know even 20 30% of that, Never mind, gets the chance to take it over because I, I there's no re reason he might not be better than Damian Williams. Who I like Williams, I still think he's talented, and we're going to talk about him in a second. But Darwin Thompson, that role is so invaluable, and he's looked like such a playmaker. If he can carve out a role there, he's going to have some serious fantasy value. So I, I, he's shot up to you know 100 or so, right around Tony Pollard, right around uh, Justin Jackson, right around Justice Hill. I would love to hear what you guys think, where you kind of rank your your preseason penny stocks. That's Those are my kind of guys that I want to have on every single team. Uh, and I lost out on Thompson last night, and that was like the one mistake I thought I had in my draft. Like, where, Why did I take? I took James fucking Winston, and then he gets taken. It was just, ugh, not, not happy about that. So that's one of my 
Those are, those are my four favorite kind of penny stocks. Let me know how you guys sip through them. Again, that would be Justin Jackson, Tony Pollard, probably the top of list, Tony Pollard. I'll go in order. Tony Pollard, Justin Jackson, Darwin Thompson, Justin Hill is kind of how I rank them. Let me know how you do. A guy who could push for that type of penny stock status, in my opinion, and nobody seems to be talking about. It kind of blows my mind. I feel like I need to write something about this guy and pump his tires a little bit more. It's Ty Montgomery. Uh, clearly the number two. He's run with the starters this entire preseason. Uh, with Le'Veon Bell, he's not going to play a preseason snap. So Montgomery's gotten all that volume, and he's looked really good through it. I hate the fact that he wears number 88. I can't trust a running back in number 88. But a nice seven rushes, 36 yards, and a TD. Powerful-looking score. Uh, that's a nice yards per clip right there, over five yards a carry. Didn't get any targets in the passing game, but we know Gase has loved to throw to running backs uh, previously, whether it was with Denver, whether it was Forte with Chicago. Uh, even Kenyon Drake got some nice receiving volume before becoming a timeshare guy. So I, I really like what Montgomery could do. Kind of that handcuff does he have benefits now, though? So he's the clear handcuff to Bell, who does have a risky injury history, who is coming off a year off, who knows if he's just you know ready, if he's going to get a tear or pull or something early. Not without the you know realm of possibility. And if he does, I really think Ty Montgomery would be the true cut, clear-cut workhorse. And they're talking about how, having him in a, a nice standalone role that in practice there's tons of sets where they've had Le'Veon Bell and Ty Montgomery on the field at the same time together. They motion him out and put him in the slot. They move him into the backfield and they have two backfield sets. So if he kind of already has this hybrid standalone role, maybe he has a little value there. Uh, and I don't like that for Le'Veon Bell. It's a reason why I'm pretty low on Le'Veon Bell this year. Plus you get the handcuff with benefit style upside. I think Ty Montgomery, a lot of people are sleeping on this, folks. Uh, and, and especially in a deep best ball draft. You can find him in you know, around 18, 19, 20. There's a lot of upside. There's a lot to like there. Uh, we're looking at the comments here. Give me some Josh Allen, Darnold, Allen, LJ for me. Uh, so you like Darnold the most. And I love Robbie too. I don't know if you tuned in for that, Matt, but I was already raving and uh, sucking off Robbie quite hard earlier. I'm a big fan of what he could become. He could eclipse. Oh, yeah, Justin I definitely should eclipse Kenneth Dixon. No doubt about that. Uh, and, and Jake Knight showing some love for Darwin. I love him. I love that you love him. Absolutely. We both great minds thinking alike right there, my dude. Uh, so, so happy to tune in. Jake, can you bring up an interesting name here? Brian Hill. If he takes that number two role, it's just like Ty Montgomery here. It wasn't the expected number two entering the offseason, but all signs have pointed to Ty Montgomery being that. Maybe that's the case for Brian Hill, who's looked pretty decent so far this preseason. Definitely the most powerful guy. Could easily take that goal line role, too. This is going to be a top seven, maybe top five scoring offense with Dirk Cutter and Matt Ryan reuniting with all the weapons they have. I mean, they were like sixth in scoring last year, and that was with idiot Steve Sarkeesian calling plays. Dirk Cutter just helped lead an offense that led the league in passing yardage, total passing yardage with Jameis Winston and fucking Ryan Fitzpatrick. This offense could be a complete juggernaut, and Freeman clearly has not been able to stay healthy these last couple seasons and hasn't even looked that great when when he has been healthy. So yeah, I think that's a great name, Jake, to bring up, Brian Hill. And I, I don't have him on my list here, and I'm happy you did. I'm going to definitely continue to track him. I know he scored at least one or two times this preseason. If you know a little bit more about him, feel free to comment it in. Let me know what you like about him. But if he becomes that number two and overtakes Ido Smith, uh, I really like the upside that Brian Hill could bring to the table. Um, so yeah, thanks for bringing that one up, man. I, I think that's a great name that we really haven't talked about much here. All righty, we're here for the stretch run now. Last few 
penny stocks to have on your radar. Oh shit, did I not get the right menu in here? Uh, doesn't look like I did. Sorry about that, folks. I have last week's menu with like Preston Williams and stuff in here. We have some Patriots to discuss here, though. Uh, so I'm going to have to turn off the menu, sadly. Uh, for this one, image slideshow will be removed. And now it really is just me. So I'm still getting used to these broadcasts. I appreciate you tuning in and dealing with some of these technical difficulties as we go. Uh, but I'm going to run down the list here, no menu, and tell you who some of these other guys are. The first one, though, old man that I didn't expect to have on this list, and that's Adrian Peterson. 31 yards, looking as spry as ever, 34 years old, and the man looks like he could be 25. Four carries is all it took for me to think, hey, maybe this guy still has it. He clearly had it last year. I think it was, what, seventh in the league in rushing yardage last year. I got, I think, the fifth most attempts. Too. So, I mean, this guy got fed last year and responded. Darius guy still hasn't been cleared, and I, you got to imagine they take him along slowly. And what do they have to lose by just riding AP? I mean, other than the fact that maybe he's not that good, but if he's going to continue to flash like he did uh, on, on uh, Saturday when they played, Ooh, look out. I mean, this guy is one of those guys that you don't really want to draft. You're not going to get any oohs and ahs. There's no oozing upside like Darwin Thompson or Tony Pollard taking over a backfield. And I always side with upside. I always go with those guys. But oftentimes you end up getting left with a bench where you just don't have any value that you know you can rely on. And I think Adrian Peterson, early on in the year at least, is going to be a good source of 12 to 15 carries. I think he's going to stay involved at this stripe because he's always been a goal line back that, that can finish and pound it in there. I like what I saw, and I just wanted to kind of point out that as much as I love these upside unproven rookies that, that could over end up taking over a role, I also, you got to balance that out and kind of get some of those guys with sure volume. And Adrian Peterson often getting undrafted because he's the unsexy type of player. Think brings a lot to the table for where you can get him in round, you know, 12, 13, 14. Um, alrighty. After him, now come my Patriots. Jacoby Myers, yet again, the darling of the preseason. Uh, Tom Brady's target leader in practice so far. Jeff Howe did all the stats. He led the team with uh, 24 targets. He caught 20 of them. I mean, insane catch rate. The guy's been balling out. Last week, we talked about him on here because he scored two touchdowns and was just separating from D-backs with ease. And he goes and does it again. 82 yards, uh, team high. Six targets, team high. Six catches, a team high. Was a beast yet again. They move him all over. He's showing that understanding of the game. Your Belichick raved about this is a ex quarterback. He really sees the field better than you know your average rookie receiver. You're better than most receivers in general, and that's the one thing that gets in the way of a guy like Nikhil Harry or other talented, more physically gifted receivers. Just haven't been able to pick up the scheme and haven't been able to to know the coverages and know what option routes and all this. It's a very complex system, Josh McDaniels, and Myers clearly has it on lock. He's so second week performing, obviously, when you got Josh Gordon returning, that's going to put a dent on his potential you know, target share and potential slice of aerial pie here. But you got Edelman as a sure thing. You got Josh Gordon. I can't call him a sure thing. Who knows how long he's going to last if he makes it through the season. I already raved about his upside. He could be a monster in this offense for a full year. But who says he stays clean? Who says you know he could, he is that clear-cut number two? James White will be obviously involved. But after that, I mean, this is going to still be a Tom Brady offense, still plenty up to grabs. 
I really could see Myers taking that number three or four gig and on Tom Brady's target totem pole, that's worth some value. And again, of course, with the, the questionable history of Josh Gordon and that sketchy injury history that seems to be popping up with Julian Edelman, Myers would man that slot and he would dominate if Edelman ever got hurt. So definitely some stash appeal there with Jacoby Myers. After him, Damian Harris comes in and looks like a beast. 14 carries. I, I don't love that he was used so extensively because it suggests maybe his role isn't that high. There's reports that Sony Michelle and the gap between Sony and Damian Harris is much bigger than originally entering camp. And, and, but maybe Damian Harris did some damage to close that gap. 14 rushes, 80 yards, nice usage, nice yards per clip. Also catches all four of his targets. That was the report on him. He was a great receiver, kind of a better hybrid model for what Belichick and McDaniels like to do than even Sony himself. Uh, there's reports that he might be a goal line hammer coming out. That's what WEI's Ryan Hannibal told us on uh, when he came and joined our podcast when after the draft. Thought Damian Harris might take that goal line role, and he showed everything you'd want to see uh, in this game right there. Rushing, receiving, unpredictability, and Sony with that sketchy injury history. I think Damian Harris is a, a tweak or pull away from maybe getting a stranglehold on that back. And we've seen you know, Garrett Blunt fall in the end zone for 18 touchdowns. We've seen Sony over the playoffs score you know two touchdowns a game because this offense just moves it so efficiently. And as Brady's gotten older, it's become more and more run heavy. I wouldn't be shocked to see a backfield-centric offense with Harris having a standalone role, especially if he gets the goal line carries. But then you factor in Sony's injury history. I really think Damian Harris makes an unbelievable stash at the end of drafts. And the last guy on my list, again, apologize, the menu has escaped us. And you guys, toss out any names you want an analysis on. Toss out any other sleepers that you think might have emerged. And I'm going to go over some snap totals. People that didn't put up yardage, but snaps that are also really important, in my opinion, after the sleeper. Uh, but Dion Kane. A guy that got hyped relentlessly last spring, last fall, but then he unfortunately got uh, injured right before the, the start of the season, wasn't able to play, apparently has been rehabbing very well, uh, back to full strength by all reports, another impressive spring, and then we go see it translate, seven of nine targets, 80 yards in their second preseason game, uh, ran with the first team, Jacoby Brissett-led group, played with the second group too, but he was in there, and Paris Campbell's still hurt, he hasn't been practicing, I mean, Funchess is a solid big body, but, you know, he's not someone that can't be leaped if Kane's playing that well. And when Andrew Luck is right, this offense could throw for, you know, forty-five to 5,000 yards, Deion Kane could carve himself out a meaningful role here. So a guy, again, the team clearly is loved. They've praised and praised and praised him. And he started to show why with that team-high nine targets and 80 yards on seven catches this week. I really liked it. Some last other intriguing stat notes, uh, snap counts that I really want you guys to take hold. But let me uh, cover some of this uh, that you guys have. AP, I've been so on on his price. So Jake Knight, we're agreeing here. How much does Josh Gordon hold uh, Jacoby? As I said, uh, it definitely uh, takes a little bit of a toll, Matt. So we're, we're thinking about the right, um, right mindset there. Uh, so bold take. I prefer Damian Harris outright over Sony Michelle. Well, <laughs> duck. I have to fire you on the spot there. We know Sony's going to crush it for as long as he lasts, but you definitely have to have that Damian Harris handcuff. Come on now. Uh, guy tight end love for us says, Jake, this week there wasn't any real like tight end standout that I can think of off the top of my head. 
I really like Chris Herndon. I know he has that four-game suspension, but he's been in on all 23 snaps of the first-team offense alongside only Robbie Anderson and Quincy Anunua to get all the snaps. Crowder's had 21 as well, so he's been almost a every-down fixture. They've ran a ton of that 11 personnel, that three wide receiver sets, which Miami didn't really run last year. So I, I love that I'm seeing a new Jets offense. I love the control I'm seeing out of Darnold. And I really think Chris Herndon uh, probably going to go undrafted in a lot of leagues to that four-game suspension, but he has a meaningful role and he's a great athlete and he's a fantastic blocker so he's kind of that every down player after week four I'm telling you that guy could really explode Uh, so that's one of the guys I am most impressed with on the flip side where the hell's Mark Andrews been he's been like a 20% snap player maybe that's because they have a bigger role prep for this guy but after all these gushing praise reports the most impressive offensive player no one took quite the leap of Mark Andrews he's dominating players and flexing in their faces and that's the biggest dick on the team nobody has seen Mark Andrews. So what what are we doing here? I, I mean, Duck, you wrote a piece on him, and I loved him too. I was with you. Where is he? I, I don't know what's going on with him. So I'm not you know ready to just abandon ship, but Nick Boyle, the blocking tight end, has got all the snaps. You know, Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews have been more of a rotation. That's got to – when you're not an every-down player and a very low-volume pass attack, this guy that I thought had a ton of appeal – I'm uh, not loving so much, but one tight end, I'm going to give you a stat on Jake. Not not so much a sleeper, uh, but a guy that a lot of people are aware of. That's uh, that's Vance McDonald. So this is part of the snap count part I wanted to get into. Steelers' first team offense goes in for 14 plays, and these are the snap counts. James Conner, 14. First of all, I'd love to see that. I mean, the workhorse role confirmed. This, the fact that the guy falls to you know round two when a Steelers running back hasn't finished below the RB6 for six straight years blows my mind. I mean, James Conner is going to be that every down back. I get Jalen Samuels scored a touchdown, looked impressive, is impressive, but I'm not buying all this committee talk. They've never really done that. It's not the Steelers way. Uh, So one, he's in for all 14. I love to see that. The only other player to play all 14 first team snaps though was Vance McDonald. This guy becomes an every down player now that Jesse James is gone. Uh, there's limitless upside. I mean, Scott Barrett has some great stats about how he was the tight end 10 last year on like the 18th most targets and the fact that he was only like a 50% snap or so player and he still dominated the way he did. If he can maintain that efficiency yet also have that spike in volume and snaps and plays and then you also factor in the fact that, you know, 250 targets and, you know, 2,500 yards are now up for grabs in that offense. The ceiling is truly limitless with Vance McDonald. Is Dante Moncrief the clear number two? Is it James Washington, who's grown great this preseason? Or is it Vance McDance? I really like him. I think his upside, Jake, if you want a tight end love for a guy that falls, you know, there's that kind of the big three, the Kittles, Ertzes, and obviously Kelsey. And then you got your, your Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram, Jared Cook style tier. Obviously, O.J. Howard, got a little bit above those guys too at four. And then I feel like you know, Vance McDonald goes to around 8, 9, 10 and gets slided in with like the Hoopers and the Najokus. I think he belongs much closer, if not right alongside the Hunter Henrys, the Evan Ingrams as an every snap player. I'm a huge fan of Vance McDonald. So there's some tight end analysis for you. Uh, but more on that Steelers first team offense. Juju played 13 or 14 snaps. The other big takeaway... Dante Moncrief in for nine, whereas James Washington only got in for one. When other guys, Deontay Johnson, Ryan Switzer, Eli Rogers, more slot guys, whereas Moncrief's the outside. Those guys played even more snaps than James Washington. So as good as Washington's looked, I think he's like third in preseason receiving yards at another 78 yards this week after blowing up the week before. As great as he's been, 
Moncrief is still clearly ahead of this guy. So I've been all in on Moncrief all offseason, and it's starting to show kind of why. And that and that's, makes me you know, even more excited that he's playing even with the finger injury. And after he missed some significant time, he's still running as the clear number two at this point. That was a big snap takeaway for me. I'm reinforcing that he's the clear number two, that James Conner is the clear-cut number one, and Vance McDonald. Holy shit, the, the upside is limitless. This guy's playing all 14. Uh, I also love that, you know, talked about Pollard, but he played all 13 of Dak's snaps. Zero snaps for any other running backs with the Dak Prescott group. Uh, I thought uh, another stat on Justice Hill I should have given you guys earlier. Nine forced missed tackles on his 12 touches this week. Mark Ingram hasn't forced nine missed tackles in a full game for over five years. So that just goes to tell you maybe there's a little bit of talent discrepancy here. Maybe Justice Hill, just as he unseated Carson, Maybe he could unseat Mark Ingram there. Uh, and one other little bit, uh, a couple more actually. I'll give you Kamara and Latavius Murray. Both been playing actually a decent amount, uh, but the usage has been the flip we'd hope for. Kamara, 21 snaps, 13 for Murray. So we're looking at a, you know, right now a 65, 35 or so type of distribution. That's enormous because Kamara's been hanging right around the 50-55% while Ingram was there. And he still was you know, the RB4, the RB3, put up the most uh, points per touch of any running back in 2017 and the fourth most points per touch in 2018. So, I mean, unbelievably efficient, perfect system. This backfield just puts out the first, first, second, first, first most backfield points these last five years. So we know they're going to ride their backs in the pass game and the, the run game. They just the most invaluable. But if he jumps up now to 60, 65% of that instead of uh, the 50, 55% he was before, that's going to be enough to just catapult him to an elite stratosphere. I mean, he was on pace for the most historic fantasy season of all time last year in his four games without Ingram, more so than LT's 32 touchdowns. So I've always had Kamara up at number one overall, but those of you that are slow, slow to, the, to adjusting, that snap count has to start thinking in your mind and all these tweets about how this is going to be his backfield. It's not going to be the 50-50. I know, you know, Peyton made some comments that it's still a split field and we're not going to veer from what we've always done. But the, all the beat writers saying otherwise, the snap count so far saying otherwise, it would make sense because Murray really isn't the talent of, uh, of Kamara. And so last but not least, I wanted to go over a few things with the Bucks offense snap-wise. Peyton Barber has been in for 13 of the uh, 22 starter snaps, whereas Ronald Jones has been in for nine. So looking like a true full-blown committee there. No one has really separated. Jones didn't do anything, but Barber hasn't really done anything to strengthen his grip either. So looking like a timeshare, and neither one is really standing out yet. O.J. Howard, this is an interesting one on him. He's been in for 21 of 22 snaps. Throughout his early career, he was roughly about 60% of the snaps. That's like 98% of the snaps right now. So you got to love that. We haven't seen any huge splash plays or anything like that. But the fact that he's in as much as he's in is a huge sign that he's going to be an every-down player this year, which he should be. He's, I mean, he's more physically gifted than any maybe anybody in the NFL, never mind tight ends. Uh, he's just an absolute physical specimen. So if he becomes an every-down player and sees that uptick in, in usage, look out for him. Uh, and the other guy on the Bucks too, Chris Godwin. All 22 of Jameis Winston's 22 snaps, he's been in for. He's been in the slot for eight of them. So when they move for three wide receiver sets, he kicks inside. The breakout's coming, folks. I know I was a little slow to get on that train, but I absolutely love Godwin to feast this week. 
Uh, Deshaun Hamilton watching Monday Night Football and Flacco looks for him as a safety valve. I haven't been watching the football game, so that's good to know, Duckworth, uh, because I don't, I, Flacco, there's so many stats about how, even if he's cannon armed, his deep ball accuracy and everything has been bleh for the last 10 years. I think 35th. He was like below Blake Bortles' uh, completion percentage on deep passes last year. So that's more of Sutton's game, whereas Hamilton would slide into that intermediate range where Flacco may still have a little bit of pop to him. I just don't really want to be tied to anything related to Flacco. This Broncos offense as a whole doesn't intrigue me much outside of maybe the backfield because I like the zone blocking scheme they're implementing. I don't know. I, I don't. There's guys that go around Deshaun that I'd rather have. I'd rather have Darwin. I'd rather have Pollard. Any of those running backs we've talked about tonight, I'd rather have. Uh, wide receiver wise, I'd rather have Keyshawn Johnson and get a piece of that air raid. Uh, if if you know James Washington's still falling for the Steelers, there's just guys that intrigue me more than Deshaun Hamilton. This is not an offense I really want much of, unfortunately. All the reports that he Andrews has been. Oh, you're, you're responding to me. I appreciate that. I might be taking the early games as a chance to see what they have. That could be it, Duck. And and that's what I'm hoping for is they're kind of evaluating what's going on uh, and and seeing what they have in their other guys because they're so confident in Andrews. I'm hopeful that that's the case. Um, and, and he's still definitely a tight end, too, I look for. Coleman ran for 12 on the first play of the game. Nice. So I, I got to go watch this game because I love watching the 49ers, and I love Coleman, Jake. Uh, I think the fact that he might be that clear-cut number one with McKinnon now removed or Rita, you know, the clear number two, I love both of those guys because you obviously at this point know I love the Kyle Shanahan zone blocking scheme. I just didn't love that it was going to be split between three and we never know which one's going to get it and blah, 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 blah. But now it's, you know, clear cut. Coleman's been that number one all camp, been number one in goal line drills and short yardage drills, been moved around as a receiver, and he falls to around six. You, you could get a potential workhorse in one of the most productive blocking schemes ever. And round six, a talented guy, nonetheless. And then you just get Breida in round you know, 11 and 12 and just lock up that backfield. Obviously, we don't know yet what McKinnon's status is. But my gut saying you know, IR, that's what a lot of beat writers expect. That's going to be eight weeks without him. There's no way if Coleman's rolling like I think he would roll that they're going to go back. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's kind of what you know the Nick Chubb argument, right? Like if, if you know Hunt, what's he going to do when they come back? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Chubb could be that every down horse the entire season. He'd be worth the fifth overall pick if that's the case. Fourth overall pick maybe even. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I love Coleman. I think that's a, a great guy to call out, and I'm glad you did. Jimmy G looks terrible like Schaub. I mean, all the reports are he's been throwing pick after pick after pick. Belichick always playing chess while the others play checkers, even though he didn't want to get rid of Garoppolo. All righty, guys. The one other stat, if you have any questions, please get them in. A couple other snap counts, though, I want to just tell you about. The Seattle wide receivers, right? The question, you know, who's going to ascend and take the, the target share without Baldwin? Everybody knows Lockett is going to be that number one. The, the stats I've been able to rip off about how perfect passer rating with Russell Wilson, most fantasy points per target of all time ever, a historic efficiency. There's so many metrics that suggest it. And then, you know, a report I tweeted out that got tons of love on Twitter, so thanks everyone that shared that one, that Tyler Lockett, in 11 years of covering the team, said Brock Heward, I've never seen them make such a concerted effort to get a guy the ball as they are with Tyler Lockett right now. Uh, He's a 100-catch candidate. If this guy, he won't maintain that efficiency on 100 catches, but if we do see that volume spike... Even if the efficiency takes a hit, this guy is going to win leagues in round four. And we're already seeing it. You know, 17 of 17 Russell Wilson snaps this week, leads the team in targets with three, hauls in all three of them for 27 yards. Nothing crazy, 
but you see a lot of that intermediate usage that we didn't already see. You see a lot of that moving around the formation, that concerted effort to get him the ball is definitely there. No other wide receiver played more than 13 snaps as compared to his 17. I know DK is knocked out, but Lockett is going to have a season, folks, and you can get him in round four. I love that value so much. Alrighty, guys, that looks like all the questions we have. So I hope you enjoyed this round of the preseason market report. I apologize for some of those technical difficulties early on there. But I appreciate, especially Jake and Duck, you guys tuning in and interacting this entire time. Uh, some good comments from you too, CJ. Uh, that makes this show all the fun. There's a reason I do it live. It's because I want this interaction. So you guys made it tonight. You made my night by, by coming in and tuning in. So Please, every Monday, right around 7.15, 7.30, you know, depends on how school is that day or whatnot. I'm going to try to get these. We're going to be running them through the regular season, too. We're going to do waiver wires as part of it. So keep tuning in every Monday, right around 7.15. You can find us on Facebook Live. And then, of course, you might be listening here on the, the podcast. We rip the audio from the live recording and make it into a, a podcast show to just hit. You kill two birds with one stone style thing. So if you're listening to the podcast, but you want to be part of the action, Facebook Live, Roto Street Journal is where you can find us. Tune in, interact, get all your questions in so you're ready for draft day. And at 5.30 every day, doing those live mock drafts for people. So if you want one done for you, tune on in 5.30, Monday through Thursday. We'll get you a draft done and we'll get you ready for the season. Alrighty, folks, I'm the Wolf. And until next time, I'm out. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause, oh, 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 and wave out to the crowd, and take our final bow, oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show, 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 at least we stole the show. Old-fashioned football right there, folks.